It's Friday. Welcome to the Xander Effect. I'm your host, Xander Dames. Got a few things to chat with all of you about, including in entertainment news. Christian Bale is going to be playing the new villain in the brand new movie Thor Love and Thunder. So that's going to be really cool. Going to go into that a little bit. In sports, Tom Brady, still a free agent, still has no idea where he's going. We don't know where he's going, but hopefully we'll have some clues. I'll go ahead and fill you in on that. In video game news, Destiny is about to get a huge DLC with a lot of details in it that I will go into. Plus, my special guest today is one of the uh, co-founders of a company called Reboot Addiction Recovery Centers. His name is Dr. Brendan Borrowman, and uh, we talk a little bit about what his center offers to many people with problems of addiction and other such issues. But first, before we get into that... Chef Sean's got a brand new remixed version of his song No Name featuring Jeremiah and it's coming up next right here on the Xander Effect. Down the side, I split now and down my lane. I should've never be the same. She said she love me, now it's looking like I'm powder. Used to say she quiet and pressed, I guess that's just how she was brought up. Is she like brother? She like Gucci, she like Finn. She run my bag, she popping tags, she hit my stash until it's empty. Now we pull up dripping while she tripping, talking about some hoes. I ain't got the mention, but I got the shit she needs to eat. I like them black girls, white girls, Spanish girls. The ones with big butts, big hair, and big curls. Tight throwing back in love to smash girls. Type that like sex with me with two girls. But I still slang B. Like I still go. It is still one thing that I don't know what her name is. I'm still trying to figure what her name is. Name is. I'm still trying to figure what her name is. Tell I love your business. Ain't nobody else's business. That's the reason they don't know my name. No cap, not trying to juice myself. Run around streets with you, not trying to lose myself. Run around streets with heat, not trying to shoot myself. Run around strap with pole, not trying to hurt nobody. Pull up real smooth with dope, just trying to work the party. Find a real chick, she cool, she turn up to the party. Find a real chick, she smooth, ain't trying to hurt nobody. She a real chick, 
featuring Jeremiah in their brand new remix of No Name right here on the Xander Effect. In entertainment news, looks like Thor has got a brand new villain and it's Batman. Yes, actually, it actually is Batman. Well, former Batman character, actor Christian Bale uh, will be playing the villain uh, in the brand new Thor Love and Thunder. Uh, so that's going to be really cool. So far, uh, a lot of uh, a lot of the co-stars are actually very happy to have Christian Bale on board, including including uh, Tessa Thompson, who said, "quote Christian Bale is going to play our villain, which is going to be fantastic." I've read the script. I can't tell you much. Lots of exciting text messages messages exchanged between Natalie and I. We're going to have fun. Taika is writing and directing some familiar faces, some new people coming into the mix. That's going to actually be pretty, pretty cool. Uh, obviously, Thor Love and Thunder was announced last year as a part of uh, Marvel's, uh, Marvel's uh, uh, pipeline of movies that they're going to be doing very soon. And, of course, there, Natalie Portman is reprising her role as Jane Foster and she will be she will be actually wielding the hammer. She's going to be pretty much Lady Thor in this brand new uh, Marvel movie and that's going to be pretty cool. They're going to start uh, they should start filming actually very soon and uh, according to what some are according to what some people are saying it seems that it's going to be even crazier than uh, Thor Ragnarok so I mean I don't know if anybody saw any of you guys saw Thor Ragnarok I saw it, it was actually pretty funny and pretty interesting to, to see it was like it seems like they were trying to add a little bit more humor into Thor Ragnarok because obviously they saw the success with Guardians of the Galaxy and how much humor they brought into the mix so they went ahead and added a little humor to Thor Ragnarok which is pretty cool I liked it myself in other entertainment news it seems that Ben Affleck is uh, uh, dating one of his co-stars. And uh, you know what? I don't blame him because this co-star is gorgeous. Ana de Armas. Uh, she's uh, she's actually played uh, you know, his co-star in the movie The Deep Water. 
so they were actually hanging out together in Cuba. That's actually where Anna is from. And it seems that many people, many uh, sources, well, people that saw them together, it seems that they were more so there as uh, romantically, you might say. Um, they, there's a lot of uh, social media posts with them hanging out together in shops and taking pictures with fans and things like that. Even uh, Ben Affleck is seen speaking in Spanish because he's taken he took Spanish for a long time, and uh, he's talking to a lot of the fans in Spanish. So there may be uh, the, the romance rumors are brewing even stronger with both of them, which it shouldn't surprise anybody. I mean, Ben Affleck's been single for quite a while now after his divorce with Jennifer Garner. And uh, you know he went through he underwent through a lot of uh, a lot of addiction issues uh, more, more so than anything alcoholism so he's finally uh, on the wagon uh, uh, apparently and he's found himself a new lady love and who knows where that relationship's gonna go I gotta tell you Ben Affleck does his does love his Latinas because you know he was dating Jennifer Lopez for a long time so <laughs> he does love he does love his Latinas so that's really cool with him we'll see what happens hopefully uh, they they do very well together and uh, you never know you never know what what will happen next in other entertainment news a lot of star wars fans are furious right now i mean they were already upset at um, star wars rise of skywalker seen as it was a huge disappointment to many star wars fans but now even more so because it seems that there is a, a, a there is a book there's a novel coming out that is explaining Ray's actual origin, and uh, like from if any of you saw the movie, and if you haven't, here's a spoiler alert. Turns out that Ray is actually the granddaughter of Palpatine, and she finds this out. They have a huge fight. Palpatine ends up getting killed. Whatever, whatever. But now there's a different. There's a different version of the story that J.J. Abram has left out, even out of his director's cut, and that's the fact of the matter that. In fact, Ray was actually uh, she was actually the daughter of a failed clone, and that's something that a lot of uh, Star Wars fans are very pissed off about because they haven't put that in anything. It's been in the books, but they haven't put it. It's in the novel. Uh, it's it's in the upcoming novel called Rise of Skywalker uh, by writer Ray Carson. And it comes out March 17th. And a lot of people are very upset because they read this and they're like, wait a minute, it didn't even make the theatrical cut or anything. And now they're even they're even more pissed. I mean, you know, it's it's one of those things where they're just they're, they want this to actually. I mean, you got to look at it this way, too. Books are not always going to be the same as actual movies because there's just so much information in books that cannot be put in a, in a movie. So I'm sure that J.J. Abrams saw that and said, you know what? You know, for purposes of, of entertainment, for purposes of impact, we're going to go ahead and do it this way rather than that way. Of course, it, it didn't do too well, and the proof is in the pudding from from the from the from the profits that it made in the movie theaters. So, there's a lot of people. There's a lot of Twitter, uh, a lot of uh, Twitter followers out there uh, that are tweeting right now about it. One Twitter follower follower by the name of at Mike Ryan tweeted. I, too, am a failed Palpatine clone. The Rise of Skywalker is officially the worst Star Wars movie. Congrats. Ouch. Uh, at Tim Cast, also decided to go ahead and write... 
Stop, stop. It's already deadscreenrad.com forward slash Star Wars Rise and so on and so forth. At Mike Drucker said, tell you one thing that clone that clone didn't fail at. Whisper effing. <laughs> at, at Scott Wampler BMD uh, tweeted, I wish Star Wars would stop confirming things about itself. At Sunny at Sunny Bunch. LMAO, guys, let it go. You killed Star Wars. It's fine. We have moved on. You need to. You, you need to. You need to too. And the and the tweets just kept on going, and going, and going, and going. So I mean, obviously, a lot of Star Wars fans are super pissed. And but there's nothing more that can be done about it. The movie was already done. It's already out. It's gonna be coming out on DVD and Blu-ray very soon. So you know what? Like that last Twitter follower said, get over it. It's done and over with. We move on to the next one. In other entertainment news. I got an opportunity to uh, speak to the co-founder and vice president of uh, Reboot Addiction Recovery Centers, Dr. Brendan Barrowman, and we talked a little bit about what his center does for a lot of people with issues with addiction. I just mentioned Ben Affleck just went through uh, through uh, through an addiction, an alcohol addiction, and so it looks like he's sobered up. And this uh, center actually deals with people like that, not not Ben Affleck himself, n- not him, but they deal with a lot of people with problems with addiction. And I got a chance to talk with uh, Brendan Barrowman about this, and he had a few very interesting things to talk about in regards to his center. But before we get in, go into that interview, here is Ian Garen's Mad Sexy right here on The Sander Effect. This bed wasn't made for me to sleep all alone. This bed wasn't made to see no action at all. They say this addiction of love can't be no good for my soul. But my bed don't agree. She says she wants you in. All that you show on love say hi and drive me crazy. Like it's in drinks and clubs together we met sexy. All that you show on love you are the most amazing. The To see if you are alive They say this addiction tonight It's sick that I'm just a vampire But the truth is I'm here just for the hype All that you show I love say hi You drive me crazy Like eating drinks and clubs together We met sexy All that you show I love you
So on the Xander effect, we have uh, co-founder Brennan Barrowman. Uh, he's the vice president of a company called Reboot Addiction Recovery Centers. And uh, this, uh, this particular uh, uh, recovery center has to do with uh, uh, various different problems. But instead of me talking to you guys about it, I'll go ahead and have Brennan talk about it. Hey, Brennan, how are you doing today? What's up, man? How are you? It's another beautiful day in paradise here in SoCal. Yeah, I bet, man. It's cold here in Utah. It's oh, freaking man. freezing today. Oh, man, I could imagine. So your your company has a lot to do with, uh, with uh, many people that have problems with addiction, drugs, alcohol, etc. Um, obviously, the entertainment industry, sports world and everything has a lot of issues with that. But before we get into that, uh, tell me a little bit about yourself and how did you get, how did you get involved with, uh, being a co-founder of such a yeah, such facility? So, uh, I started out joining the military, uh, didn't know what I wanted to do. So I went and did that for a bit. Uh, I got shot and blown up in 2011 and lived oh, wow. in a hospital for two years. Yeah. Um, and through that, I had a bunch of friends that, uh, got addicted and, you know, suicide rates are insane. I'm, I'm 28 and I know 53 people that have committed suicide. Uh, a lot of that was with P, like almost all of its PTSD drug use courses, a factor. Mm -hmm. Um, and from there, I, when I got in the military, I decided to be an entrepreneur, went on, I uh, started a few companies, exited a few companies. I went to film school. Uh, I went back to playing hockey. I did that as a teenager and I play for the Utah warriors now. Um, and through that, my business partner, Wendell, and I were at another business meeting setting up a solar company. And his son, uh, he, he had to go and tell his son it was the day he couldn't come home. It was his third rehab. He failed. The rehabs kept telling him, oh, your son failed our program. And we're like, yeah, you're an adult. How, how did a kid fail your program? You guys failed the kid. Mm -hmm. So we decided uh, to maybe just fix him on our own. He wanted me to do a boot camp for his son. I was like, I don't think that's legal. So let's look into it. And uh, I came from the background of if I do anything in an industry, I want to be disruptive, right? Mm -hmm. If that's the music industry, you want to be disruptive. If that's the film industry, you want to disrupt the film. If it's the product, you want to dis disrupt the shit out of the market, right? True. And uh, so I decided, hey, let's look at the brain. No one's looking at the brain. Wendell's like, that's a great idea. So we, for like six months, locked ourselves in our houses and did nothing but study the brain. Um, and what we found was an imbalance, uh, blood flow wise in certain centers of the brain. And so we decided, Hey, if we can rebalance these areas, I wonder what happens. Um, and so we decided uh, to attack it from that front and we've neurologically cured PTSD and drug addiction, um, by rebalancing the brain and then giving them actual emotional modalities to, to handle the stress that comes with it. Cause now they can process it. Unlike normal sit down therapy, if their brain's not working, it will never work. Wow. Wow. So you yeah. guys, so you guys have, so you guys have a very unique approach to uh, beating addiction. And this has been, this has been proven to like, to actually uh, keep the, the individual away from, from anything. I mean, they, they never, yeah, so they what never. Happens is, what happens is most people, the drug problem have an emotional problem, right? Mm -hmm. And emotional processing in our brain comes from our thalamus. Well, the number one common factor between PTSD and drug addiction is the thalamus has no blood flow. It's not, it's not performing. So if you can't emotionally process, no matter how much sit down therapy you do, it won't work because you can't emotionally process what you're going through. Mm -hmm. You go and a therapist opens you up, you get raw and you don't, you can't emotionally process. You never get resolution. So what we do is we focus on rebalancing that part of the brain and then we go for resolution on the behavioral side. Um, and man, it's been crazy. We, we document everything with a uh, functional MRI and 
We track the people. We've been in, uh, in practice now for about two years. Mm-hmm. And so our data only goes back two years, but so far we're a hundred percent. Um, and it's, it's been amazing, man. It, it's literally been life changing. We're, uh, I mean, I earned my PhD from it. <laughs> so wow. Wendell, uh, we're presenting at a medical conference here in June. It's been, it's been pretty crazy. Wow. That's incredible to be honest. Cause I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, kids out there that have addiction. Usually it derives from, from uh, getting uh, sexually molested or abused of some kind. And so that obviously causes PTSD in, yep. in the children all the time, which causes them to do, to have a lot of problems. Um, but I mean, like, Take for example, take for example the entertainment industry. You know, you have you have a lot of actors. I mean, the the most recent actor that's been talked about a lot lately has been Corey Feldman. With uh, the yeah. fact of the matter that he's coming out and and telling all these people that this is this is why I'm the way I am because I was abused. I mean, well, how would you treat a you know an individual such as himself? You know, seen as I mean. Obviously, like, it seems that he's clean now, but he could easily rebound, especially with all the stress that's going on. Oh, yeah. With 100%. what's happening. I mean, how would you treat some, someone like that? So, uh, the, the first thing I would say is there are a lot of people out there that believe once an addict, always an addict, right? They're an AA, and they're like, oh, I'm 20 years sober today, and they're proud of their 20-year chip, whatever, and they're terrified. They're one drink, you know, one, one step away from being an addict again. And I, we don't believe in that at all. We don't believe in once an addict, always an addict. We believe that the brain's still messed up. And so these people still haven't figured out how to emotionally process. Their brain's still not performing optimally. They're having problems still. They've just found a really good way to emotionally cope, um, which is great for them. But like for Corey, you know, he's sober. I'm sure he's found a great way to cope. Um, I'm sure he's found other addictions. So when people that don't fix their brain get sober, right, their gym becomes a huge addiction. Uh, video games, eating, uh, being in the next big movie or the next adrenaline thrill. You know, people get into like skydiving and base jumping. And if they miss that, you know, for a couple months, they start feeling like crap. It's because their brain cells have been fixed. Um, first thing we do for Corey is we give him a brain scan. We figure out where is the function actually lies. And then we would rebalance his brain. And then from there, it would all be behavioral after that. So we do a lot of uh, CBD, uh, cognitive behavior therapy but we couple that with cold water therapy. So we get in cold water while we do it. Mm-hmm. And the brain produces a reward pathway when you do that. So you're getting dopamine, serotonin, oxytocin when you're in cold water. And so instead of just doing normal therapy where you're sitting on a couch and there's no reward system, there's no um, neural pathways that are opening up and it, you're just kind of sitting there, um, we, we do it cold water and we have better results doing it cold water than you'll get six months doing sit-down therapy. So we'd be getting in a cold lake or you know, a cold river and be t- do talk and shop on what his problems are and hopefully getting him some resolution while he, uh, he figures out what he needs to fix. So I can't so, say what we would actually do because I don't know his emotional dysfunctions. I mean, there's so many different modalities we can do depending on what it is. Correct. Correct. So, um, so basically, so just out of curiosity, when it comes to, um, when, it, when you guys don't believe that, uh, or I should say, substituting one addiction for another is still is still an addiction one way or another because from what you're telling me it seems that some people use other methods to cope with their addiction i would actually see that as just a substitute you know for for their for for one from one addiction to another would i be correct in assuming that yeah i mean it's think about aa right people become addicted to aa for their sobriety Mm -hmm. 
or, you know, people that, you know, find God, which is amazing. But at the same time, they're basing that belief on either a person like a sponsor or a unattainable, unattainable, uh, like come save me kind of persona. Right. And a lot of people that, Oh, I found God. So I'm cured. I don't have an addiction anymore. Become addicted to God. We all know that guy that, you know, was an alcoholic or was addicted to a drug and he found Jesus. And that's all he does is Jesus. Well, that's an addiction to God. That's not healthy either. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And whenever you replace an addiction with another addiction, you're going to relapse eventually. You are one misstep away from becoming addicted to what you were in the first place. No matter if that's AAA, the gym, food, you know, adrenaline junkie, God, whatever it may be, whatever you replace that addiction with, there's still an underlying factor of why you need that addiction, why you're craving something drastically where you can't go without it. So let's talk, let's talk a little bit. Let's switch from Corey Feldman to Amanda Bynes. Now, okay. here's a young here's a young woman that basically she she went through a lot of things. Um, she had a chemical imbalance. Uh, she she's suffering from uh, bipolar. I think bipolar disorder. I think it is. She's suffering through, through a lot of mental health issues. She, um, you know, her, her, she suddenly announced that she is engaged to be married, uh, to a gentleman that she met in one of her addiction, uh, you know, uh, uh, recovery things or whatever. Uh So would you think that she is, she is coping and she's replacing one addiction for, you know, uh, for getting married or doing something? Oh man, I can't say that. I don't know her. (laughs) <laughs> ah, gotcha. Hopefully okay. she found love, man, and that, you know, like so that because it's just it just it just it just seemed it just seems so like so random. I mean it, it might be yeah, sudden and it, it, I mean at the same time I see it as okay, this guy just came out of nowhere, nobody really knew who he is. She met him and it just seems like it's a codependency, in my opinion. Okay. You know, from from what I gather. But maybe I don't know, maybe I'm wrong. I, I have no idea. Like you said, maybe she did find love, but at the same time it just seems too convenient. Well, let's look at two things, right? So to rebalance your brain, we do sensory motor training, right? Which is a lot of physical things. So maybe she went to a rehab that had a lot of gym time. And maybe through that gym time, she increased a little bit of blood flow. So she started processing a little bit better, right? Mm -hmm. But she didn't get it exactly where she needed it to be. And she meets somebody, she falls in love, she gets that chemical uh, dopamine hit, you know, the, the love hormone. And through what they're going through, they build that bond. She pulls head over heels. She's like, I don't want to wait. I want to get married. That's awesome. If she's marrying for love. Awesome. I don't know her. So I can't really condemn it. But if she, it was one of those things where it's, this is what I need to stay sober. It's not a love thing. Then it's terrible. No one should marry for that. You, you should be in a relationship for that. You know, a lot of people are in relationships six, seven years. They don't get married. They're still in a relationship because they don't leave because they're dependent. Whether that's financially, emotionally, whatever that fear is, I mean, that's just unhealthy to begin with. That's why we have the divorce rates so high in the mm-hmm. world. And it's, it's, um, it's sad, I think is the right way to put it. But I don't know her, so I can't make a judgment call on that because I have zero idea, man. So, you know, you, you're talking about uh, love and everything, not to get involved with that. I've seen now because I saw I saw on VH1 a few years back, uh, Dr. Drew had the reality series of uh, these celebrities, celebrity rehab. And there was one, there was one, uh, part of it where, where two celebrities, like, you know, one of them was a porn star. The other one was a rock star. And, uh, she was trying to like seduce them to like, you know, kind of do some stuff and they prohibit any type of sexual activity during the time of recovery. What has that, I'm curious, what does that have to do with recovery exactly? 
because it's not real. And once people get like, let's say you have two people that are emotionally connected, right? Mm-hmm. So let's say they, they start having sex and one falls for the other, the other one doesn't, there's an ugly breakup. And no matter what therapy they are in the middle of, it's now ruined at that facility because they're both there. Mm, it's I like see. having a group of friends and, you know, Sally and John start having sex and Sally and John break up and it's ugly. Then the rest of the friends that are in the group are like, uh, what do I do? Right. Yeah. You gotta pick Sally or John. And it's kind of the same thing with therapy groups is, and that's why we don't have mixed at the same time. Like we have female in there. We have a fem- female cycle. If it's male, it's a male cycle. We don't mix them because of that, because it, there's a different experience, right? There's a female experience and the male experience. And then you get into race experiences, right? Like I don't understand the black experience. I'm white, but you have di- people have different experiences. And in order to give them true therapy, you got to be able to relate to that experience in some way. Now you start adding different dynamics and different variables, your chance of success goes down drastically. Mm-hmm. I mean, if, if I have, let's say I have a white suburban kid, right? And then an inner city black youth, and they're both there at the same time, we're going to be able to rebalance their brain. But when it comes to therapy and, and getting opening up and closure, I wouldn't be able to do group therapy. It would have to be one-on-ones with each of them because you're in group therapy. One kid talking about what's triggering him, the other kid's going to look at is not a big deal and vice versa. They're from two different worlds and they're not going to understand each other. Wow. Yeah, that's def- that definitely makes a lot of sense, actually. Um, in, the, in, your, in, your, in your facility, uh, the, addiction, the addiction that you have, like the addiction uh, recovery centers that, that, you, that you offer, what specific uh, addiction do you guys cover exactly? Because that's something that, that's, that's a question. Everything. Okay. Everything, man. Like if it, the way I look at addiction is no matter what you're taking, the, the cause of that, the, the, the root of the issue, in my honest opinion, is an emotional issue. Like people say marijuana is a gateway drug. Childhood trauma is the gateway drug. Trauma period is the gateway drug. People not even realizing it. They may have an emotional trauma. They don't realize it. And they start doing, you know, pot or they start, you know, I'm going to do Coke once. And they're like, oh, I love the way that made me feel. And so they do it a couple more times. And it's like, I'm not addicted. I could stop anytime. But then they don't mm-hmm. stop. Right. That's how addiction happens. Um, regardless. And we, once we rebalance the brain, I really want to get into the emotional stuff. And there, there are some people that I know will come across soon that are, I just want to party, man. And they'll never emotionally open up and that's fine, but I won't be able to help those people. But I've, I haven't run across them yet. Everybody I've run across, no matter what their drug of choice was, there's an emotional stimulant behind it. And once we start getting into that, man, it, it all comes apart. What is the what is the toughest case you've had to deal with as far as you know getting somebody out of uh, out of an addictive personality? Um, I can't talk specifics uh, like names and stuff, but yeah, of course, um, I would say we had. I would say probably uh, the the hardest, and this is for multiple cases. The hardest thing it comes to teenagers is the parents changing. So what we believe is no matter what we do is if the environment back home doesn't change, they'll revert, right? So if I take a rock from outside and I polish it, make it look like a gemstone, if I put that in a new box in my house, it's going to look like that forever. Mm-hmm. Um, but if I throw it outside in the driveway and it gets run over and run over and run over back into its same environment where I pulled it out from, it will turn back into a crappy rock. You know what I mean? And so yeah. our hardest yeah. issue is the parents not changing their behavior or still accusing or still, you know, following through with the, the bad um, tendencies that they do, um, guilting or shaming or, you know, just anger. 
if they don't find that resolution before they go home, that's our biggest, our biggest fear of relapses, you know, getting the parents to change. So we, we bring the parents in towards the end when it's teenagers and we put them through a three day effect with them. We lower their cortisol levels. They get to see who the kid is again. They get a relearn relationship with them on uh, their boundaries while the child's in our facility. We're working with them at their home. So do you, so, so do you believe that the root of the problem at the end of that all, the root of the problem actually has to do with the parents? The majority of the time. Uh, so we, uh, we're, we're laughing about it. We we're going to put a video together for YouTube the other day of uh, you ruined your kid. <laughs> nice. 90% of the time, the, the parental behaviors are almost the main cause. Mm. Whether they didn't set healthy boundaries because they didn't know because they didn't have good parents or because they were too uh, aggressive or guilt too much. You know what I mean? Like everybody has their downfall, right? And some parents have, have some and some parents have others, but it usually comes down to the units. We believe in, you know, we have the, the behavioral side, you have the physical side with the, the neuro, neurological issues. Then you have an environmental side, which is your school friends, um, the identity that someone, an individual wraps around that. So the way people dress, the way people talk, that's not something you are intrinsically born with, right? That's an, that's an exterior environmental social norm that you pick up. So just the slang that we use and the way we dress is environmental. We don't create that on our own unless we're in a, a sterilized environment, which is what we do at our facility. You know, it's khaki pants and white t-shirts and they kind of reinvent who they are when they're back out at home and they go right back to like the Bob Marley shirts and they're hanging out in their friend's basement on the same couch, smoking the same drugs before they left that environment doesn't change. They're going to go back to who they were before. So we encourage the parents like, Hey, when they come back, they need a new school. If they can't get a new school, try homeschooling with packets or get them their GED adults. were like, Hey, you can't change where you live unless you have the money. And if you can't do that, then you need to change your social connection. So go join a gym, go and we try to find new areas to go and explore. Um, but our biggest cause, man, are parents refusing to take uh, responsibility for what they screwed up on. Like you start getting into therapy and a kid's like, oh, my dad always screams at me and he says I, he wishes I was never born. When you say as a parent, when you're pissed off, you're like, oh, that's not a big deal. But to the kid, that's one of their big anchor moments. It's like, yeah. they don't want me. Like I'm, I, they don't want me. So if my own parents don't want me, who's going to want me? That to them is a huge thing. And most parents that we've had come through and they hear that, they're like, oh, I was just mad in the moment. It's like, yeah, but you still haven't apologized and you still haven't let go of that. So you obviously feel some sort of resentment to that. Like there's some truth that you need to work through right now with your child or it's going to stay and you're going to ruin everything. And that's the hardest part, man, is parents refuse for the first couple of days, refuse to take responsibility. And that's, I think in the entertainment industry and sports industry, like where you have child stars and stuff like Amanda Bynes, right? Corey Feldman, mm -hmm. when they're kids, their parents are their managers. True. Right. And you have like Justin Bieber and his dad don't have a relationship, right? I don't know mm -hmm. if they do now, but they had a huge falling out before because of all that. You you start mixing that business life in your in with your family life, and things are always going to go awry, always. Yet the parents refuse to take responsibility. They have this: I made them. I you know, if it wasn't for me, they wouldn't have what they have or be who they are. Kind of mentality instead of seeing their teenagers as individuals, like hey, they're becoming their own person and. I need to let them take credit for what they're doing or I need to stop holding things against them. The parents can't do it, man. It's that is my biggest struggle is working with parents. Well, I That's think our it's, biggest struggle. 
I think it also has to do a little bit with uh, pride, too, because parents, you know, they look at it as, well, we're the parent. They're the children. You know, they need to they need to understand uh, they need to understand better, especially like especially like parents that are old school. They're 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 probably they're probably your your hardest struggle right there to deal with them because they just will not listen to reason i mean i i and i know this i know this from experience you know i mean my my uh my dad he's one of those individuals that is incredibly stubborn love him to death but he's just very stubborn in his ways and uh it's 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 crazy because i mean it's it's one of those things where uh i try to tell him look that you need you need you need to go to therapy because we lost we lost my mother in, two, in 2016 and it was a huge loss for us um yeah. you know I'm something sorry that, to hear that Thank you. And, and the thing is that like, we've, we've struggled, uh, myself and him trying to like get along. Cause it's uh, irony of ironies. Um, the one person that I got along with the most was the one that was taken away from me. And I got, and, and I'm with the one person that's the opposite of, of her. And yeah. we've struggled to just try to maintain a good relationship myself and him, but he's just the type of person. He's a very stubborn individual set in his ways. You know, I told him, I was like, dad, you know, you and I, we need to go to Greek counseling because this is something that we need. He's like, oh, I don't believe in that. That's just, you know, psycho mumbo jumbo. I don't believe in any of that stuff. And it's just, you know, he's a very difficult person to try to convince. So I'm like, you know, judging from the, 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 the personality he has, I'm sure you've dealt with a lot of parents that have similar personalities as well. So that just makes your job way harder. Well, I'll, I'll give you two caveats to that, right? So the first one is I don't think it's really um, pride. I think it's more fear of shame. Mm. Um, and we see this a lot. The, the number one issues we have is not with dads, but with moms. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll tell you why. It's because moms more than fathers, and some fathers have this tendency too, but just in generalization, moms seem to have this trait more where their identity is so intrinsically wrapped in who their children are how their children behave and how they, uh, who they grow up to be is part of their identity, right? If they mm-hmm. are drug addicts, they failed. And they have this failure piece where it's, it's almost like ego, where they, they resent so much because it's like, you're harming me. You're harming my, my reputation as a mother. And I, I didn't raise you to fail. Like, you know what I mean? Like, there's that big piece of shame to it, um, especially the persons in with the religious group. If, you know, if they're LDS, they're Christian, if they're it, any type of religious group, it's even worse because they have that that cultural um, kind of responsibility that it thrives on in those areas uh, mm-hmm. of what a mother is. And if your children fail, it's the mother's fault because the mother's supposed to nurture and the mother's supposed to guide and the father's supposed to be the stern disciplinary, right? Mm-hmm. But to most fathers, if they're the stern disciplinary and they're not really involved, right? They're the, the dad that's, oh, well, how much money do we need to throw at fixing the problem kind of guys? that's not a big deal for them. For them, it's a financial deal. And that's a pretty simple one to fix. Mm-hmm. Um, but for mothers, man, it comes down to shame. And then uh, the second caveat is with your dad, right? So you were really close to your mom, you're not close to your dad. Mm-hmm. How long were your parents married? Uh, they were married for about 30, 34 years. How old are you? Uh, I'm, I'm around my thirties. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm around my, my late thirties. <laughs> okay. So they were married before or after you were born. Uh, they were married about a year. They were married about a year after I was born. About a year after you were born. Mm-hmm. Um, were they always living together? Actually, I'm sorry. No, they were, they were married, uh, the year, a year before I was born, not after. A year before, before I was born. Okay. 
Um, how was your relationship with your dad growing up? You know, it was, uh, it's one of those things that, uh, at first we had a close relationship when I was a kid, but right around, cause my dad was a truck driver and a mechanic. Okay. Uh, so, I mean, he, he did the best he could to try to like, you know, uh, be around and everything, but it was difficult cause he had to work to, you know, you know, put foot on the food on the table, roof over my head, clothes on my back type of thing. Yeah. Uh, so he was, he would, he would come in and out. There were times that I would go with him on his, on his halls, you know, on his truck driving halls, my mom and I would go with him. So that was really cool. Uh, but right around, I would have to say right around I, when I turned into a teenager is when him and I started drifting apart. Okay. So here's something I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to push on you, right? Mm-hmm. When someone hears grief counseling, they're going to think the woman therapist who has eight cats with the Coke bottle glasses <laughs> sitting down in front of a desk that's probably going to have a little sandbox and some weird music, maybe a big giant piece of salt mm-hmm. talking about your feelings. Mm-hmm. Your dad's a truck driver and a mechanic. There's no way in hell your dad's going to want to go sit with one of those people. True. Ever. What hobbies do you guys have in common? So instead of trying to do grief counseling, why don't you just try to, you know, I don't know if you fishes or if you guys hunt or shoot guns or maybe it's just movies or cars or whatever, go to a car show. But I'm sure his grief from losing his wife is worse than a son losing his mother. Does that make sense? Yes. Because there's a more intimate, there's more intimacy with your spouse than there is with your child. Yeah, it was his love, the love like of for, his life. Yeah, for children, it's, you know, a foundation piece. But once you hit a certain point, you move away from that foundation and build your own. Whereas a spouse is a foundation you build together. Yeah. Like no, you, I don't know if you're married or not, but. No, 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 I'm not. No, so, no, I, like, I, and, and, and I get that because, yeah, she was, she was definitely the love of his life. So it was a huge loss for him. Yeah, so I'm sure there's a, there's a part of him that is still struggling with it to this day. Um, it's hard to say not because I'm sure losing your spouse would be something you'd struggle with daily for the rest of your life. If it's the love of your life. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, my suggestion to you, instead of trying to do the grief counseling stuff is just pick a hobby you guys like and start just inviting him and not expecting. That's one of the things we teach people when they come to reboot. Stop expecting outcomes and expectations. Right. Mm-hmm. That's You just set yourself up for failure. Like, when I'm working with a child and they have expectations how their father, you know, they're having an issue with their father or their mother and they have an expectation of a conversation's going to go, they immediately set themselves up to be triggered. Sure. So no matter what, they can't control that other individual. They can control how they respond to anything, but they can't control the other person responds to it. Vice versa. So what I tell parents that are with their kids, when we have adults come in, I teach them this to with anybody in their life, whether it be a boss, a friend, girlfriend, boyfriend, whoever, you can only control your outcome. So try to set the game up, whatever game it may be, to where you're setting yourself up for success instead of failure, right? So mm-hmm. instead, of try, instead of trying to make it like a neutral zone for both of you, just try to find something you both enjoy and so you're setting yourself up already, you have a win. Like, hey, we both love cars. We're going to the car show. That's already a win. Now, don't expect, hey, we're going to talk about mom at the car show because if he doesn't want to talk about it, you set yourself up for failure. You're going to feel like you missed out, right? Sure. Like, oh, you didn't talk with me about this. So, I mean, that that's, would be my suggestion. No, it's good advice. <laughs> yeah, just, just try to find that, that middle ground, man. No, it's definitely good advice. And, and I'll definitely, I'll definitely uh, think on that most definitely because it's something, it's something that I hadn't thought about yet because I was like, you know what, that is, actually is a good idea. He's a mechanic. He loves cars. 
So yeah. uh, car show would definitely be something therapeutic for him. He would love to do something like that. So I appreciate that advice. And out of curiosity, uh, your your recovery center, it's obviously it's 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 in Utah. Uh, yeah. But, but is it reaching a, a national level right now? No. Uh, what's crazy is it's all been word of mouth, which, you know, when we started this, we were thinking more research facility. We wanted to crack the code. And once we cracked the code, we're like, oh, let's go out and treat the world. And then we realized our, our, cause we're a five, we're a nonprofit, right? So I don't make money and Wendell doesn't make money. We just bring money in to pay the bills. And we realized doing it, we weren't be able to affect the amount of people we need to affect. So we decided to create a software. It's what we're working on right now. And instead of trying to create reboots all over the country, we'd rather just put our software, our modalities into the, the treatment centers that are already there mm-hmm. to help elevate the treatment across the board with everybody. Like why would it, you know, if you found the cure to cancer, you wouldn't just open your own little clinic, your own little facility and have people come to you for treatment. You would let every hospital in the world have access to it. And so we've looked at it the same way of like, let's put the software together. Let's get it out to the world. Um, and that's what we're working on right now. No, that's awesome, and it seems that it seems that your centers really, uh, really are helping out a lot of people in a very unique and innovative fashion. So, I mean, I I gotta say that uh, it's definitely something that's very interesting. I like the methods that uh, you all are are doing with your patients and man, or with your guests. And man, that's that's something huge. Where can anybody uh, follow you on Instagram? Uh, Twitter, uh, where, where can they find you guys? So my Instagram is at reboot Brendan. Um, and from there I am always linking stuff from my Facebook and from Twitter. Um, that's probably the easiest way to, to get a hold of us or you can follow us on Instagram at reboot centers. Um, it's the blue boot. Um, and that's, that's probably the easiest way to get a hold of us social media wise and everywhere else is just rebootcenters.org um, for our website. And they can, uh, and obviously everything is anonymous. And like, if somebody follows you, asks you questions, they have they have no worries that, uh, or they they they're going to be perfectly secure that everything's going to be confidential. Oh yeah, our confidentiality process is is very intrinsic. So um, I don't recommend anybody post their their stories that they don't want it to be public on, like Instagram or Facebook on a comment section. But messages are held very confidential. Awesome. Well. Dr. Brendan Barman, thank you so much for being on the Xander Effect, man. I mean, this is an amazing uh, interview. I really enjoyed it. And uh, I definitely would love to, uh, you know, uh, have you on the show again to talk a little bit about, you know, maybe we could go ahead and chat a little bit more about uh, different uh, issues that, that come up. And yeah. Uh, yeah, I'd love to have you on again. It'd be great, man. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much. We'll talk soon. All right, man. Thank uh, you. Thanks so much, Dr. Brendan Barman, for being on The Xander Effect. And if any of you have any type of addictive problems or uh, or if you know anybody that has addiction problems and needs help, feel free to jot down their website, Brendan Barman's website for the Reboot Center for Addiction. So make sure you guys uh, go ahead and follow them, check them out, ask them questions, any of you need help. They'll be able to help you out in sports. Tom Brady, where in the world is Tom Brady going to go? Well, the uh, Patriots quarterback still has another week before he becomes a free agent. And so far, there's been rumors that he's been talking to a lot of teams, the Colts, the Raiders, 
the Cowboys, and now, as of late, it seems like the Tennessee Titans have also tapped Tom Brady to come and play for Tennessee, and they seem to be very... uh, they seem to be very confident that they may be able to get him. According to uh, NFL Network's Good Morning Football, they had a recent interview with the coach, and he said, quote, well, it would be no different than a conversation you would have with your girlfriends on a weekend. My relationship goes back to 2001 with Tom Brady. Training cap in Rhode Island at Parentes, we'd go to practice and a bunch of us would go out to the bar at Parentes after practice. And that's where a lot of those friendships were made. Those friendships aren't just going to stop or not continue to grow and develop now that I'm a head coach and he's a quarterback with an expiring contract. Those are going to continue on well after we're done playing with his family, with my family, and having the ability to meet Jules and all those players. There's a special bond that goes on in the locker room, and that's not going to stop. So seems that the, the head coach... Uh, is is expressing that he does have a strong bond with the quarterback, with the New England quarterback, and that might be something that they can use in order to sway Tom Brady to come and play for Tennessee. Who knows? But as of right now, the question mark is still up in the air. There is still no known team that Tom Brady is inching towards. He might just stay in New England. There's still so many questions unresolved and we won't find out we won't find out yet but we will find out very soon in other sports news man the nba has been plagued with crazy injuries all over the place including uh one of the nba's top scorers steph curry has been out for a while here and but it looks like he's coming back uh curry's trainer curry's trainer brandon Payne, basically said that the nerve tissue on his left hand you know it'll take approximately a year before it's completely gone uh so i mean he's not playing at 100 percent. he's still playing but not at 100 percent. he actually scored 23 points in the loss against the Raptors uh, on Thursday night so at least he's he's slowly but surely starting to make that uh, that that comeback but it's going to take some time still Ben Simmons is still out with a back injury so he's going to be uh, he's going to be uh, gone for a little bit here uh you know, uh, that's, it's going to be a tough one for Philadelphia. Another player, another big player uh, for Philadelphia is Joel Embiid, who is also out with a shoulder injury. So, I mean, luckily the shoulder has no structural damage, uh, but he is being reevaluated, and uh, they should find out whether or not well, how long he's going to be gone for. Portland Trailblazers Joseph Nurkic is actually coming back. He's been out with a knee injury for it's been it's been almost uh, an entire year, and uh, he's going to be coming back on March 15th. So there's some good news for the Portland Trailblazers. Chicago Bulls Zach Levine is gone for about a week uh, with a left quad strain. In Boston, Jalen Brown 
is going to be out of action for a week with a hamstring injury. Draymond Green with the Golden State Warriors seems to still be sitting out uh, during games with a knee injury. Mark Gasol of the Toronto Raptors is still out with a hamstring injury as well. The Detroit Pistons got some really bad news as Derrick Rose is out for the season with an ankle sprain. Kyrie Irving with uh, Brooklyn seems to it seems that he was doing fine. He came back after missing 26 games, but he still felt a discomfort. And after undergoing a, a surgery, it seems that he's out for the season as well. Another another big blow to the Nets, along with Kyrie, is Kevin Durant, who, Kevin Durant, excuse me, who is also out for the season. Back at Golden State, Klay Thompson is still out and will be out for the rest of the season as well. So. So that's two of uh, the Golden State Warriors three-point shooters that are going to be out. So that's hurting them a lot this season. But the one player that I see that has a big old question mark over his head, whether or not uh, the team is going to keep him or what they're going to do with him, is Blake Griffin. Blake Griffin is uh, out with a knee injury. And it seems that this knee injury, uh, he had surgery on it, came back and wasn't... uh, you know, wasn't really supposed to come back. It required another surgery at the end of last season. Um, but it, it just, you know, he he seems to he seemed to play have played again. He played uh, games three and four, uh, you know, of the, of the sweep against the Milwaukee Bucks. And who knows what's going to happen to Blake Griffin? Who knows what uh, what uh, the Pistons are going to do with him? Uh, especially now that the trade deadline's coming around, so that's going to be a tough decision for them to make. Who knows what's going to where they're going to go from there? Uh, along with these uh, NBA players, there's so many other players that are out. So this season has been injury prone for uh, for the NBA. So we'll see what happens in the upcoming months with a lot of these players. In more in more sports news. Khabib Nurmagomedov, the UFC champion, had a face-off against Tony Ferguson. He faces Ferguson uh, April 18th for the interim uh, UFC title and for the interim uh, UFC lightweight title. And this this face-off was really intense because it looks like you know, Tony Ferguson was talking trash, basically telling, uh, telling, uh, I'm sorry, Khabib was talking trash to Tony Ferguson, basically saying that he's not a real Mexican, that he's kind of a, that he's a fake Mexican because he was born and raised in California, in which, uh, you know, Tony basically, you know, didn't like that. He took offense to that and, you know, basically said that he's proud, you know, he's proud to be an American. And proud to be a Mexican, and they, they were just talking smack back and forth to the point that Ferguson laid down his belt on the floor, on right right uh, right in front of Khabib, and basically you know dared him. He's like, put your belt down, put your belt down right there on top of his belt or whatever. Khabib just kept on talking trash to the point that he kicked Ferguson's belt clear almost clear off the stage, and that was intense right there. I've never seen a fighter kick. The, the belt like that off, you know, or show res- disrespect for the UFC title like that. But I think the way Khabib sees it is that that's not the real title. The one that, that Khabib is holding, that's the real title. And I think that's the reason why he kicked it. He saw that title as a fake title, just uh, just like he calls uh, Ferguson a, a fake Mexican. And I think that's the 
point that he was trying to make. No, no disrespect to the title itself, just the disrespect to Tony Ferguson. So that's gonna the, that rivalry rivalry is real, and man, it's gonna get even more intense as the months go by. I, like I said, this is this is gonna be this is gonna be a crazy fight between these two competitors, and who knows who knows who's gonna come out on top for this one because to be honest with you this is going to be one hell of a fight between these two fighters up next in video game news destiny gets a brand new a brand new uh a brand new dlc come on you better stay tuned to find out exactly what is in that dlc but first here is jp castillo's Besame Mucho, right here on The Xander Effect.
That was JP Castillo's Besame, Besame Mucho right here on the Xander Effect. Welcome back, everyone. In video game news, Destiny 2 has a brand new DLC coming out. Season of the Worthy is coming out. And it has new PvE activity, three reprised PvP maps, Trials of Osiris returns, new legendary weapons and armor, an Iron Banner exotic quest, new artifact, 100 plus seasonal ranks, new exotic armor, new exotic weapons, sandbox ability tuning. Now, this is basically, they have it split by date. So begin uh, the Seraph Tower event begins March 10th with a new PvE activity, new legendary weapons and armor. March 13th, you have the Trials of Osiris, new endgame PvP, returns every weekend, new seal trials themed weapons and armor. March 24th, uh, actually March 10th and 24th, Seraph Bunker, EDZ and Moon Legendary Lost Sectors. April 21st, you have the Grandmaster Ordeal, new Nightfall Strike difficulty, new Seal Endgame rewards. April 21st and through May 11th, you have Guardian Games free event for all players, class competition, new Legendary Armor. Be and beginning March 7th, Seraph Bunker IO Legendary Lost Sectors. Plus, there's just so much more in this new DLC. So, all you Destiny 2 players, get ready because there is a lot coming to Destiny. That's the news. In case you haven't heard it, thank you so much for listening to the to the Xander Effect. Stay tuned next week. We have way more guests coming in, way more entertainment, sports, and videos coming at you. Everybody have a great weekend. Happy Friday, everyone, from the Xander Effect. Listen up. B. Taylor. Florida. Live it up. The Xander Effect is powered by 5050 Global Music Inc. BMG and Sony Music The Orchard in association with Art19 Media.